And the goal with licensing is not to land one big placement or two big placements. That's, those are called bragging rights. Uh, the goal with licensing should be to build a career out of it. And the way to build a career out of it is by consistent placements. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm going to share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're going to show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so I'm here with my dude, uh, Michael Elsner. He is the founder of Master Music Licensing. He's awesome. Last time I talked to him, he had short hair. Now he has long hair. It's a little <laughs> luxurious. And uh, Michael, he's gotten over 2,000 placements of his original music onto TV shows, film trailers, commercials, personally. Uh, he's gotten placed on Fox Sports, ABC, uh, tons of TV shows. I was like looking through his credits and <laughs> to list all of them would be insane. So you can go like Google it, Google it if you want to check it out. But some of my favorites are like Impractical Jokers. My oh, wife's yeah. a huge Hannah Montana fan. So like you know, that <laughs> would make her really excited. Just like so, so many other TV shows and has this huge core experience of getting his music licensed on TV, film, commercials. And so today he's going to share some of his, you know, some of his lessons that he's learned over years and years of, of learning that. So Michael, thanks for taking the time to, to be here today. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I always enjoy talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I know like we've, we've already met before, so I already, like I, you've already introduced yourself, but for anyone who's watching this right now who has never met you before, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story and kind of how you got started um, with music licensing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, the short of it is uh, you know, I grew up in upstate New York and played in bands up there, left New York in, in uh, well, came to Nashville in 98. I left New York in 97. I spent a year in Orlando. Then I came to Nashville in 98. And I came, you know, to, uh, to Nashville, um, you know, searching for, uh, obviously, uh, you know, trying to get a publishing deal. That was, that was the first goal, right? I wanted to be a successful songwriter and wanted to, of course, I've always been a band guy. So I wanted to, you know, put together a band and go out on the road and have success. All, all, this, all the dreams that we have growing up about, you know, rock stardom and whatnot. So came to Nashville and spent four and a half years in Nashville from 98 to uh, summer of 2003. I came here in the end of 98 uh, and uh, got turned down by, <laughs> I mean, every publisher you can imagine. So I didn't have success with my songs, even though I was consistently writing music. Uh, I wasn't having success with my songs getting picked up, which was really frustrating. But I was having success as, you know, I started playing um, guitar on projects and started producing records, you know, learned engineering. I, I worked as an assistant engineer for, uh, under a bunch of other guys. And so I was always in the studio environment, learning all the production aspects of it and, you know, getting my skills locked in as, as a guitar player and whatnot. But after, uh, you know, four and a half years of getting turned down by everyone, I thought, you know, I got to do something else. So in the summer of 2003, I moved out to Los Angeles. And, you know, when I got there, same exact goals. I wanted to, you know, get a publishing deal. I wanted to put together a band and have success with a band. Uh, you know, ideally, you know, even, even if, if I couldn't put together a band, at least get a, get a road gig playing for an artist, playing guitar and whatnot. So I moved to Los Angeles in the summer of 2003. And uh, within... I didn't know anyone when I moved there, by the way. I didn't know anyone when I moved to Nashville either. So when I moved to LA, I uh, had one buddy out there who I just crashed on the corner of his uh, uh, bedroom. And I was planning on being out there for about six weeks. I said, oh, I'll give LA 
shop for six weeks. And within that time, I ended up landing a gig on, on uh, playing guitar on a TV show uh, for a composer. And so I go up to a studio up in Malibu, and that was just a chance meeting at a Starbucks, by the way. Uh, I'd go up to a studio uh, a couple times a week and uh, up in Malibu, and I'd sit and I'd watch him compose to the show. And then I'd you know, play the parts he wanted me to play. And so that was, that was a complete mind-blowing experience because I came from record world where we would, were making records and you'd spend you know, three or four days just on one song. And here they're doing you know, 12 or 13 you know, cues or pieces of music for a scene you know, in a day. Uh, writing, tracking, recording, and sending it back out. And uh, it just amazed me how fast that world worked. Uh, and then through that, I started meeting some people called music supervisors, which everyone knows who they are now. But at the time, you know, 2003, I had no idea what these people did. The industry hadn't changed so much that people were after music supervisors yet, you know. So I met some music supervisors. And then, uh, you know, one time I just asked uh, to one, I said, hey, can I, can I give you a CD of some songs? After I kind of knew what they did. And uh, she said, sure. And I gave her a CD of some of my songs that I'd written, you know, during my Nashville years. And within two weeks, I had my first... Uh, placement. It was a featured song. They played it for like two minutes and like 22 seconds or two minutes and 23 seconds or something like that. Uh, featured vocal song on uh, on a popular show at the time called Cold Case, which was on CBS. And I made more money just on the upfront fee <laughs> than I made in a couple months living in Nashville producing, you know, the last couple of you know, years that I was in Nashville just producing records. It was unbelievable, the difference. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. So I, you know, started, uh, you know, piqued my curiosity and I started, you know, sending out some more uh, CDs to a couple of supervisors who I'd met. And within the first year and a half that I lived in, in uh, Los Angeles, I had my entire song catalog from my four and a half years in Nashville that got turned down by everyone placed on all these shows. And you mentioned Hannah Montana earlier about your wife. Uh, the, the track that I got on Hannah Montana was a song that I had written in Nashville and gotten turned down. And that song was also used on High School Musical, by the way. And, uh, and then the song that got placed on Cold Case, which I was a, really proud of that song, uh, that got turned down by every publisher in Nashville. And, uh, and then that song's been placed a, a boatload as well. So, uh, so, <laughs> so that was my introduction to music uh, licensing. And I thought, this is amazing. I get turned down by everyone in the, in the music industry and, and in, in, the, in the licensing world, you know, they're so happy and thankful and, and grateful for my songs. And then they're utilizing them and then they're making, you know, getting, getting them placed on shows and I'm getting paid for them. And then I'm getting royalties. And I was like, this is amazing. So yeah, that's, that's my short uh, story of how I got into it. Sweet dude. So uh, I've heard this before too, that you might've been the one who, who told me this, that, you know, music licensing it's really, it's more about, t it's really about the film industry. It's really about TV and, and that industry as opposed to like the music industry. And yeah. it's a very important part of, of that industry. But because of that, you know, there's a lot of abundance and in terms of like, like you said, the one placement that you got was, was more than you had gotten over, you know, uh, five times as long in the music industry. Yeah. So yeah. it sounds like this is a potential opportunity for musicians to have a supplemental income stream in addition to you know, their original music that they're probably passionate about because, you know, they're musicians and they have original music, um, just like you. But it's maybe something that if they haven't explored yet is like a huge opportunity to, you know, have an extra stream of income to get yeah. more exposure, get on these TV shows, have credibility that even if they have been turned down and by publishers and by people in the, re in the record label industry, there's still a place where, where it can be really valuable. 
Oh, sure. You know, and the thing is, 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 you know, like I'm, I'm very passionate about the music that I write anyway. You know, I, I don't, I don't sit and write songs for, I don't, um, I don't write songs for briefs. Now there are two paths that people go down in, in the licensing world, right? There are people who, who want a brief, uh, and a brief is basically a, a, like a request. Mm. So if there's a particular show, say a music supervisor is working on a show and they need a song that is, you know, like, uh, I'm just going to pick something off the top of my head, 70s era, you know, uh, throwback to Aerosmith, you know, like a walk this way kind of thing. You know, I'm just making that up off the top of my head because I got an Aerosmith album on the back wall. But um, that, that would be a brief. Okay. And, and then some people will be like, oh, okay, well, now I have like, you know, a couple hours or a day to write a song in the style of 70s, you know, Aerosmith, aka like walk this way-ish, you know, uh, some people do that. And, uh, and that's awesome. I, that's not the path that I go down. So the path that I have chosen in my licensing career is I, I'm a big advocate of just writing the music that you're passionate about to start with. I don't want to always be chasing something. So for me, I like to come into my studio and I like to just write whatever I want to write. I think that's, that's the way that most musicians want to approach their career anyway. Uh, so if I want to come in here and I just want to write you know, like a pop track, and then I'm going to write a pop track. And if I want to invite some friends over and, and, you know, write, I mean, maybe even like I live in Nashville again. So like a country ish track, which is really just seventies rock, you know, repurposed, um, then, then we can write that. And so, so for me, I like to, to just write the music because there will always be an outlet for it. Other people are adamant about being like, hey, listen, you, know, you should always follow the briefs and write what the briefs are, are requesting. And that's just, not, that's just not what I'm passionate about doing. I don't, I don't want to sit and be like, okay, what do I have to write today? That to me is more like a job. I want to write the music that I, that I just feel like writing. If I want to come into my studio tomorrow and I want to write a symphonic epic trailer piece, uh, then that's what I'm going to do. And if I want to take the day off the next day, then that's what I'm going to do. So uh, that's the path that I um, have chosen to go down in my career. And that's the path that I, you know, really kind of advocate for other musicians is, you know, licensing your music doesn't mean that you have to give up any other pursuit. It's just another outlet for your music, just like radio, right? If you write a song that you're passionate about and you want to get it on the radio, then you go down the channels that you need to go down in order to get it you know, on a radio station and on radio stations all throughout the world. So it's the same thing with licensing. It's just the difference is, is that the end users who use your music in the licensing world do not follow the same rules that we're used to when it comes to promoting our music in what I call the traditional music industry, right? So when we write a song in the traditional music industry pursuit, you know, and we want to get it to a publisher or a, a radio person or even fans, we follow a certain, you know, set of rules to get there, right? Because they absorb and utilize music in a specific way. In the licensing world, it's completely different because uh, when you're licensing your song to a TV show, the people who are working on that TV show don't work in the music industry. They work in the TV industry. If you're licensing your music for a commercial, the people who are working in that in that world work in the you know the ads and promos industry. They don't work in the music industry, etc. As we go down in, into film and video games and all that kind of stuff, so we have to understand that our end users are absorbing and utilizing music completely different in those industries than they do in the music industry. Which means that our path to get it to them and the process to get it to them is completely different. And I feel like that's the biggest hurdle that the musicians that I speak to and, and share this with have to overcome. They still approach them, the, the end users in the licensing industry, the same way they approach like a radio station or, a, or a, a possibly a manager or a publisher or sending their music to a record label. And then they wonder why 
they haven't had any success. Oh, sync licensing sucks. I sent out my music and no one's calling me back. Yeah, because you delivered your music to them the absolute wrong way. <laughs> they can't utilize it the way that you delivered it to them. And a great analogy would be this. Every single one of us who's watching this right now is used to getting in a car and, you know, and, and commuting to and from work or to the grocery store or to church or whatever, right? And so if we're driving to and from those places that we're used to going all the time, we're used to driving a car that we bought at the you know, dealership for anywhere between you know, maybe 15 miles an hour in a school zone and 70 or 75 miles, in if, you know, miles an hour if you're, if you're on the highway or you know, maybe even 80 if you, you got a radar detector or something like that. And, and that's what we're used to, right? But if we wanted to then compete in the world of NASCAR, okay, we can't show up to the racetrack with a 2019 Hyundai Sonata, right? Because we're racing against these cars that are specifically built to go 200 miles an hour, and our car, we're gonna tootle around the track at like 80, 85, and they're gonna lap us every time, you know? So, so when we look at that scenario, just imagine that, you kind of laugh, but you think like, that guy's gonna get destroyed, you know? <laughs> he shows up at a NASCAR event in a, in a Hyundai Sonata, he's gonna get destroyed. That's, that's the same thing as following the exact same path that we're used to with the traditional music path and sending our music out to those end users in the licensing uh, arena. That's the reason why you're not going to have success. Can that person who's in, in, in the Sonata on the NASCAR, can he have success? Yes, he could have success maybe once, maybe twice in his entire career, uh, assuming the fact that while he's on one side of the, the, the track and everyone else is on the other because they're going so fast, the first two cars wreck and they create a pileup and he's able to finally go and tootle around them and navigate around them and complete the race because he's the only car left standing uh, and win. That's the reason why uh, people who have success maybe one or two times licensing their music can't do it repeatedly because they literally just had luck. And so the biggest thing with, with musicians when it comes to, to licensing is learning that this is a completely different world that follows a completely different set of rules. And you have to deliver your music in such a way that satisfies those rules. And those rules are completely different then sending your music out to a radio station, sending your music out to a publisher, et cetera. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. If, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for analogies. So I love oh. the race car, race car analogy. <laughs> and, and so to pile another analogy in the mix, uh, I've heard this from, might've been from Chris, Chris SD. He's awesome. Um, he is awesome. And I know you two just like collaborated on something and did like an amazing, you know, sort yeah. of uh, yeah. thing that worked together so that's really cool but uh, I think it was either from him or for someone else was talking about this idea of like of it's just a, a different language right so it's like you have to yeah. learn how to speak the language of supervisors and learn how to <laughs> communicate with them in the way that and use the words and use the different ways that they know how to communicate right. and I don't, I don't know if you ever heard the I don't know if it's like a parable or a story of like the the blind the blind monks who they're feeling an elephant and each of them is feeling a different part of the elephant <laughs> and it's all an elephant yeah. But like, but one of them's like, you know, the elephant's like a tree trunk because it's like feeling the leg. Sure. Another one's feeling like the tail. And it's like, no, the elephant is like, it's like this. And, and so yeah. they all have, you know, it's the same elephant, but it's all just like a different way of, of a different point that you're connecting sure. to. So it sounds like what you're saying is that that's really kind of how it works in terms of this specific industry is that, you know, it's the yeah. same songs and you can even, you know, you can, attain, you can do what you're passionate about and actually just write, you know, you could write for briefs and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. No. But no. if you're really passionate about your original music and you wanted to show up and you don't want it to feel like a job, you just want to create music, 
then you can do that. And then it's just about taking what you already have and figuring out how to communicate it and put it in front of the right people who can get the most value out of it and, yeah. and to communicate it in a way that they understand so that they, they want to use it. Right. You're hundred percent right. You know, one of my very good friends who's actually a business partner of mine, a co-writer of mine, um, he loves writing for briefs. He loves that challenge. Uh, and that's just one of those things that, he, you know, I particularly don't, uh, and, but he's an incredible musician and this stuff is amazing He's an incredible guy, but you know, just, just our, our backgrounds and, and everything about us is, is different. We, you know, we get along work together. Great. But you know, just our, our pursuits and our desires and all that stuff are just different. And so it's just one of those things where, where, um, you know, I, I don't particularly like that. I think that's more chasing something and that's just to me, not enticing to me. He loves it because he likes that challenge. For me, I, I like to come in and, and kind of just do my own thing uh, and get into my own world. And I, I like to create something without any rules or boundaries. Other people love having the, the rules and the boundaries and the parameters that they have to work within. And it just kind of boils down, I think, a lot of times to personality. I'm very much a rule breaker. Uh, I've always been. And, uh, and so that's just, I think it's probably just always been the, the long-haired rock and roll guitar player side of me that I like to just do my thing. Uh, other people tend to be very much like, these are the rules, these are the parameters, and we stay in the lines. And that's fine. I tend to be one of those people where I, I don't like that. I like to see how far I can take things. And, you know, not, not every piece of music that I write is, is you know, going to be licensed or am I actually even going to finish? Sometimes I, I, go, I go down a, a path and I'm like, man, this is just getting too far out there. Yeah, let's, uh, you know, too many odd time signatures. This was fun, but let's just call it what it is, you know. And, but I enjoy that because to me, success to me isn't just having a song place on a TV show. A big part of success to me is just being able to do what you want to do that's personally fulfilling uh, and that you're proud of for a living. But, you know, other people have different, uh, I guess, indicators of success. So there's no one path to get there. However, you do have to understand the rules of the game that you're playing. And the licensing world is, has its own set of rules. And, and they are completely different, for the most part, than the music industry path. And that's the reason why so many musicians who just go, well, I'm going to start licensing my music. So I'm going to blast all these music supervisors with my album. And we're going to send my album to all these people. That's awesome. You know, it's easy to do that. Uh, and since you like analogies, I'm going to make one up right now. It's easy to find supervisors. It's easy to find people who work in the licensing world. Google's your friend. You can find any of this stuff on Google, right? In under a couple minutes. Uh, but that's like going out on the weekend and driving around some neighborhoods and looking for a party. You know, maybe on like a Sunday, you know, during football season, going and seeing, you know, the, where all the cars are parked in front of someone's house and going, oh, that person's probably having a, a party. That's like finding a supervisor. It's not that hard. Okay. The next thing that people do then is they just reach out and they start sending out their music. That's like w getting out of your car and walking up to the, to the door of that house and knocking on the door and being like, hey, man, I see you're having a party. You know, can I come in? Well, no one knows who you are. You're the weird guy that just showed up with nothing to this party and you don't even know what the party is. So most of the time, people aren't going to allow you in. So that's the reason why people don't have success. But, but the, the process that I show people and the, the whole, you know, why I do master music licensing is it's, think of it like this. If you're having a Super Bowl party or a football party, you got a bunch of your buddies over, your friends over, and someone shows up to your door, they knock on your door, you open it up, you don't know who it is, but it's some guy holding a big platter 
of you know of, of spare ribs and um you know chicken wings that they grilled out and, and already did and then maybe like a bunch of you know fruits and vegetables and stuff like that like hey i'm your neighbor down the road i, I saw so you're having a party and figured maybe i'd you know see if, you, if i could come and hang and you bring in all this stuff yeah you, most people are gonna be like hey guys look what the neighbor guy brought everyone's gonna be like neighbor guy right neighbor guy is going to be invited in because you showed up with something you showed up with something of value that allowed you to walk through the door anyone can go and knock right but now you've been invited in because you showed up with all this value and that's the problem when people just send out their music they're sending out their music in a way that that's just like knocking on the door and someone opens up and goes that's oh, just another cd i can't use this doesn't have any of the information on it that I need. I don't know anything about this. I have no idea who even owns the masters and the publishing and all this other stuff. All this stuff that's involved. How do I describe the songs? Is there metadata? All that other stuff. What else is coming with it? Is it coming with, you know, stims? Do I get alternate mixes? You know, all the things that editors and re-recording mixers, the people further down the line will need. And when you don't show up to that, you're just blasting people, they're going to close the door. But when you show up with all the stuff, all the goodness, that big platter of, of, of you know fruits and vegetables and, and meat for everyone at the party to eat then yeah they're going to welcome you in with open arms and be like the neighbor guys brought all the cool stuff so there's an analogy for you on on uh, on licensing and showing up to the party with actual value that's a great analogy i might i might steal for that from you at some point um it's so relevant to like just like building relationships in general and yeah like you said one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of artists make is just throwing their music out there spamming people as much yeah. as possible and it's just yeah it's knocking on knocking on the door of of a party without having anything um you know yeah. of like not focusing on them and and building a, a real relationship building a yeah connection. i mean you don't even know what the party is you're just knocking on the door and someone opens up it's maybe a, it's like a crocheting party and you're like what the heck you know <laughs> i mean you don't you, know, you gotta know you gotta know what's going on here and you know so um Again, it's just it's just different rules. If I could say that there's one thing that that the biggest mistake that people make, that musicians make when it comes to the licensing world is is they don't understand the business that they're getting into. They don't understand the fact that they're actually getting into a completely different industry. It's it's just like that guy showing up at the at the racetrack with a, a you know a stock Hyundai Sonata from the Hyundai dealership racing against these customized cars with pit crews and all that other stuff. You know that person's going to get annihilated right? They just don't know the game that they're showing up to. They're going to get laughed off the, off the track. It's the same thing. Beautiful. So, uh, so yeah, I'd love, I know you have like, we could probably spend 300 hours kind of going through, uh, through everything, but, um, I know you do have kind of like a framework that allows, um, artists that kind of gives them the language figures, helps them to actually, present their music in the right way and to make a game plan for them to build those relationships <laughs> with the, the party owners before yeah. they kind of just show up and figure out how to do that. So uh, I'd love to maybe just zoom out a little bit and look at what are like the big steps and what, what are people that are watching this right now? Let's say that, that I'm an artist and I have an EP or I have an album of songs that I feel really proud of. How do they kind of get started along this route of getting it licensed to TV and film? So that's great. So uh, it's going to start just like when you're finishing a record and you're, and you're going to go, you know, generally speaking, in the professional world, uh, when people finish an album, the, the mix engineer will mix multiple versions of a song, right? Now, we all, all, we're all very much aware of like, okay, a master and an instrumental, right? But the reality is that 
when you're a professional level musician and you're with a record label and you, you know, you're really making a record, the mix engineer is going to mix out a lot of different versions of your song. He'll mix out, you know, the standard mix with like a vocal up, call it like a vocal up one dB, vocal up two, maybe a vocal down, you know, just these slight little tweaks because that's what the mastering engineer is going to, you know, when the mastering engineer sits in and, you know, uh, sequences everything and masters all the songs together, you know, they're going to try the different ones and see which one ultimately, you know, sounds best in the actual flow of the record, right? So really in the professional world, when a professional artist is mixing out their, their albums, they're mixing more than just a, 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 a full mix and an instrumental mix. So if we, if we take that over into the licensing world, it's going to be very similar. You're going to start by always having your full mix. You don't have to do all the craziness of the vocals up, ups and downs and all that kind of stuff because that, that brings in a whole mastering issue. But you're going to do your full mix. You're going to do your instrumental mix, right? But you're also going to want to provide your end users with multiple other options. So that'd be the first thing I would tell you to do. Uh, I would tell you to, at, at the very least, at the very least, you know, always have an instrumental mix. You have to. But if you have the ability to sit with your mix engineer, I would, I would have them burn out multiple other versions for you. Simple ones would be like even like an acoustic version. If, uh, if the song started with just acoustic guitar and vocals, then you start adding all the other layers in the, you know, in the recording. Strip all those layers off so it's just back to the acoustic vocal. You know, you have you could do like a stripped down version. You could you could alternate some levels if you have like some you know heavy guitars and like some some like you know we'll say like EDM keyboards. You could maybe you know change the levels on that mix and you have you know you go from your rock mix to like an EDM mix. You know, a lot of times when you're sitting in the mix process as as a mix engineer is putting stuff together, you start hearing all these other things like oh that'd be really cool. Maybe even just the bass and the and the drums are creating a really cool groove. That could be its own mix, a bass and drum mix. And when you start really listening to TV, this is the first thing I always encourage everyone to do is just start listening to TV. When you start really listening to TV, you start hearing all these other uh, musical elements. You know, you'll be watching a TV show and you might just hear a section where it's just bass and drums. Well, if you have bass and drums on all of your songs, why don't you create a bass and drum mix? Because now you have another opportunity for that placement. Uh, creating stim mixes. Stim mixes are the are the instrument groups, stereo uh, mixes of instrument groups. So you have a drum stim, bass stim, a guitar stim, a vocal stim, a, uh, a keyboard stim, maybe an orchestra stim. You know, and the reason why having these elements is important is because you're you're always going to be playing along with dialogue and sound design. Sound design is all the other sounds uh, that are being you know uh, used in a TV show. For example, like birds chirping. Uh, the, the sound of the car driving down the street, the sound of the mailbox closing if you're getting the mail, right? All those things, footsteps on, on, a, you know, on, a, on a wood floor and stuff like that. There's all these other sounds that are mixed in to the recording to make it sound very real and to draw you in, right? So that's called sound design. And when you get further down the chain to the final person in the, in the process, who's called a re-recording mixer, that person mixes all the dialogue from all the actors, all the sound design, uh, all, all the, you know, just the various effects, sometimes also known as Foley, F-O-L-E-Y. Uh, and, and, uh, and then, of course, the music, right? Uh, and what you'll notice is, is, you know, the music is underneath all that stuff. It needs to make room for all the other, all the other stuff, all, this, all the footprints and all, footsteps and all that stuff. So, so in certain scenes, you might hear something. It's just an acoustic guitar and a vocal because uh, there's dialogue over it. And then right when that dialogue ends, it might crossfade into the full version. And when you really listen, you're like, oh, wow, that was amazing how they, how they wrote that piece like that. 
Well, it's not necessarily how they wrote that piece like that. It's how the editor took these multiple alternate mixes, maybe just that acoustic mm -hmm. mix, uh, up until that moment. And at that moment, then he crossfaded into the full mix. And it sounds like it was intended. It sounds natural. But these are the people further down the line utilizing your music in the ways that are, are, are that, that complement the scene, right? The, uh, as far as stims go, what, you know, why do you deliver stims? Well, because in the music space, we mix in stereo, right? We have a left and a right speaker. But in the TV world, everything's surround sound. It's 5.1, it's 7.1, right? So there's sounds going all, all around you. And that's what the re-recording mixer's job is. It's his job is to put all that stuff around you. When you go to the movie, that's how you hear all that you know, stuff going sideways and forward and backward and all that stuff. And, and there are moments, there are times where they want that. They want that freedom to be able to go, well, you know, in this space, I want to put the drums up here. I want to put the bass and the guitars over here. And I kind of want to get that vocal back here. Well, if you're only handing them a stereo mix, they can't do that. And you're competing with professionals. It's a professional business, right? And the professionals are delivering music to the end users the way the end users need it and want it. So if you want to play the game with the professionals, you got to play the game like the professionals do. And so it would start by having these types of mixes available. Now, if you can't go farther back into your catalog, and you only have a full mix and an instrumental mix, that's okay. You can definitely start there. But moving forward, as you continue moving forward in your music career and with your songs, you should always be aware of these other mixes and having them you know, created for you by your mix engineer or if you're mixing your stuff, then you create them so that you can provide them to the editors and the, and the supervisors and the re-recording mixers uh, who are going to be utilizing your music uh, in, the, in the licensing world. So I would start there. Beautiful. Okay, so... Basically, to, as, a, as a recap, the music engineers that are kind of the, the final touch on these, on how music gets placed into TV and film, a lot of times they need to adapt the music. Like it doesn't fit perfectly the way that they would want it to. And so yeah. in order to adapt, they need to have, or at least ideally, you can provide them with the stems because if you, in the stems are basically like groups of each of the instrument types. So like guitars yeah. and vocals. And so that makes it really easy for them to mix it together and to kind of lower the volume on the guitars and, and whatever, and kind of mix it together. Yeah. And that's really important because that kind of gives them the flexibility to be able to adapt it to, mm -hmm. to fit the, the placement that they're trying to put it on. And so exactly. that's one way that people can really can compete with the, with professionals is by actually being able to provide all those, those stems. Yeah. And, and keep in mind that professionals are not some, you know, weird group of people just, you know, living out in LA who are just writing music for TV. Professionals are people who could be living right down the street from you, you know, uh, who are, you know, a lot of people I know who write music and are very successful writing music for, for TV don't live in Los Angeles anymore. And one of my good friends is a very, very, very successful composer, uh, works on TV shows all the time. He doesn't live in LA anymore. Uh, so you don't have to live there. You know, anyone watching this show, this show, I'm sorry, anyone watching this interview right now could be a professional, uh, you know, um, musician who's who's writing music for tv shows uh, as far as being professional all you're doing is you're delivering music the same you, you just understand the business that's the biggest thing how do you become a professional in this side of the business by understanding the business and when you start just like just showing up like uh showing up to that party you know with, with the platter you're showing up to the to the to the um to the end users you're presenting your music to the end users in a way that that allows them to utilize it best and that's 
it, it's really not difficult. It's just, it's just having a slight mindset shift of how you're going to approach everything, right? You can still continue the music industry pursuit and pursue your artist career and, and you know, building fans and all that stuff. Uh, you can absolutely do that. But you just have to adapt a little bit when you're approaching this industry here. So it's uh, anyone can be a professional in it. You just have to learn how the business works. Oh, what's up, guys? So quick intermission from the podcast so I can tell you about an awesome free gift that I have for you. I wanted to share something that's not normally available to the public. They normally reserve for our $5,000 clients that we work with personally. This is a presentation called Six Steps to Explode Your Fan Base and Make a Profit with Your Music Online. And specifically, we're gonna walk through how to build a paid traffic and automated funnel that's gonna allow you to grow your fan base online and the system's designed to get you to your first $5,000 a month with your music. We've invested over $130,000 in the past year to test out different traffic sources and different offers and really see what's working best right now for musicians. And so I think it's gonna be hugely valuable for you. And so if that's something you're interested in, in the description, there should be a little link that you can click on to go get that. And uh, the other thing I want to mention is, you know, if you want to do us a, a huge favor, one thing that really makes a big difference early on when you're creating a new podcast is if people click subscribe, then it basically lets the algorithm know that this is something that's new and noteworthy and that uh, people actually want to hear. And so that'll help us reach a lot more people. So if you're getting value from this and you get value from the free trainings, then if you want to do us a favor, I'd really appreciate you clicking the subscribe button. All right, let's get back to the podcast. I love how like complementary it is to everything else that you're trying to do. If you are you know, trying to build your, your artist career and you're trying to build a fan base and tour, like, you know, you're creating music anyways. And so it doesn't take very much effort to talk to your producer and say, or your mixing engineer and say, Hey, would it be possible to get just the stems bounced out on, on these songs? And literally yeah. like what took five, 10 seconds gives you this huge amount of, you know, adaptability. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, another question for you is for someone who hasn't built like a lot of relationships yet with music supervisors and they're kind of like, Hmm, those parties oh. sound pretty cool. They sound like yeah. some pretty cool parties. Yeah. I want to go check them out, but I don't want to be that weird guy who just shows up. Like, yeah. like how, how do they start? How do they, so they like can Google, they can kind of find these people. How do they start thinking about reaching out to people and how do you do it in a way that isn't weird and that helps you build a relationship with them? Sure. So when I started, I, I, administered my catalog fully on my own and what what that means is i would send cds this is back you know with, <laughs> when i was sending out cds still i would send cds every time i finished a new batch of songs you know maybe 10 songs at a time i would put them on a cd it's actually nine songs i did nine songs and the reason why is because at the time when i was still sending out cds when i was starting uh you could fit um 19 songs on a cd you couldn't fit 20 right but you could fit 19 and i'd always send the master and the instrumental so, so that gave me 18, you know, um, you can't divide 19 by two evenly. So I would go to 18 and divide it by two. So I had nine songs, I had nine, nine masters, nine instrumentals, all right? So that's how I approached it initially. And I would, I would send those CDs out to supervisors. And then I would, um, you know, uh, I'd be out somewhere, maybe getting some, uh, some dinner with a friend. And I'd get a phone call that, uh, you know, they want to license one of my songs. And I'd have to quickly pack up my stuff and get in my car and you know leave dinner early and go back home into my house or my studio or wherever my, my computer was at the time and get them the files that they needed and sent out 
and then you know print out the the PDF that they would send me and sign that and then scan it and send it back and there's a lot that goes into administering your catalog uh, and a lot of it is you know the licensing world works very quickly deadlines you know if someone needs to license a song a lot of times you'll see in a brief that you usually have you know most of the time you know 24 hours 36 hours maybe at the most but this is for like a custom type of piece. When it comes to just licensing a track, that is generally taken care of very quickly, usually within less than a day. So you have to really ask yourself, are you going to be able to do that? You know, are you going to be able to be checking your email often? Uh, are you going to be able to respond to stuff quickly? If you're working a nine to five job and uh, you get a call at 11 o'clock in the morning, someone wants to license your song, but they need it by, you know, all the stims and all that stuff by 4.30, are you going to be able to leave your job go home, get all that stuff packaged up, you know, sign the deal and send it back in time. These are questions that you really have to ask yourself. Uh, for me, I chose um, about eight, uh, about nine years ago now, nine, 10 years ago now, that I was done doing that. It was, it was just too much. It, it got to be too much to administer my catalog every day. So what I did is I started having someone else take over. And before we get into that, just a little backstory is, you know, like I said earlier, my whole goal was I always wanted to have a publishing deal, right? I felt like that meant a lot. You know, when you have a whole team of people marketing your music and pitching your music, that was, you know, a big indicator for success. So for me, that was a bit of a barometer that I, I wanted to reach in my career for success. And, in, and I think if, if at some point you've wanted to have a publisher and, that, and getting a publisher was, was a goal of yours, just, just raise your hand, just admit it, right? Um, I think most musicians want to have a publisher. And in the licensing world, a publisher isn't called a publisher. It's called a library. They're the exact same thing, but it just has to do with the history of, 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 uh, of the you know, TV and the sync world. They're called libraries. So, you know, it's interesting now, you know, I'll, I'll say something about a library to, to um, musicians. They're like, oh, I don't want to give up any of my publishing. I don't want to, you know, sign any of my publishing over. But then in the next sentence, they'll talk about how, you know, they want a publishing deal. <laughs> so it starts again, kind of going back to just understanding the business. And in the licensing world, a uh, library is a publisher. And actually, you have a lot more freedom with a library being signed to a library than you do in the traditional world being signed to a publisher. So to answer your question about how to go about this, uh, I'm a big advocate now of working with a library uh, for a number of reasons. When I signed my catalog over to a library, I started having a lot more success with my placements. To give you an example of that, I moved to Nashville a number of years ago. When I moved to Nashville, I had over 750 placements. Uh, I now have around uh, over, I have over 2,300. So I've, I've tripled that in a fairly short amount of time, having a library, which basically means having a whole team promote my songs constantly. So right now, as you and I are talking, there very well, right now, there could very well be a, a, a license happening right? That I'm, I'm unaware of. I'll get paid for it and all that stuff, which will be great. But I don't have to sit here and stop my talk, my conversation with you and get on the phone and be like, Hey, Michael, I'll be back. I got to go print something out quickly. And then I got to go find my stems. And I got to send it all off and this and that. So that's why I'm a big advocate of working with libraries. I know a lot of musicians want to deal with supervisors, but the reality is, again, if you don't know the business, which a lot of musicians just don't understand the business, a supervisor is not going to want to work with you. Uh, I know that, you know, uh, Chris SD says the same thing. It's, it's you know, definitely true. Uh, supervisors don't want to be teaching amateur musicians how to license the, you know, the, their music. And so 
they want to work with, with people who are either administrators or libraries, people who do this every day. So it starts by understanding that a library in the licensing world is a publisher. You get more freedom working with a library because you are only bound to that library by the songs that you write for them. So for example, let's say I write 10 songs and I want to have one library represent three of them, another library represent three of them, and another library represent four of them. I could do that. In the traditional music industry path, if I write 10 songs and I'm signed with a publisher, that publisher owns all 10 songs. In fact, generally speaking, that publisher will own everything that I write during the term of my contract. Right? So if I write 100 songs during the two years that I'm under my deal with, my, with that particular publisher, they would own all of those songs. In the licensing world, it's not the case. I own everything that I write until I sign those songs over to the library, and I can sign those songs over to any library as I choose. And in my business, I have three outlets. I call them buckets. All right? I have a company called Sonic Trimmer, and we do trailers specifically. It's all we do right? Uh, we don't do any pop songs. We, do, we don't do commercials. We just do trailers. Then I have just, you know, me. And, and this is the stuff that I do mostly for commercials. This is my, just my regular bucket. And then I have uh, the other part of me, which is not a, a company. So these, these two are my own, Michael Elsner. Uh, and this is, this is all the songs that I write with people, you know, uh, any songwriters and anything that doesn't fit into the Commercial category or the trailer category. Now, commercials are their own, own thing. Commercials are generally always going to be over 140 beats per minute. They're always going to be upbeat. They're going to be shorter pieces. And then trailers are, are more epic and bigger, and they're just written differently. They're written in, in three um, sections, right? So, so you know when you're writing a trailer, you know when you're writing a commercial. So everything that doesn't fit into those fit in, sits into this bucket. Now, I have one library that represents this company, which is a partnership that I have with, with my writing partner. I have another company, another library that represents every piece of music that I write that I feel is worthy of being a commercial. I send it to them and they have a lot of success with those for me. And then every other track that I write, over the years I had multiple libraries working with them, um, but now I have them all funneled under another company name uh, and that's all administered by a third library. So I have three different libraries or three different publishers and when I'm writing a song, I can very quickly determine which bucket this is going into. If it's a pop song and I have a songwriter in here writing with me, it's sitting in this bucket. If I'm just writing by myself and it's an upbeat, fast, you know, you know, driving track, it's going to be a commercial. It's going to sit in this bucket. I know where the outlet is. And if it's a big, epic, symphonic piece that's obviously good for trailers, that's going to sit in this bucket. And there's a lot of freedom there to be able to, uh, you know, work those catalogs to those specific clients accordingly. At the same point, all of those particular libraries were specifically chosen because of the clients that they have and in the industries that they work with. So for example, you know, one of the companies, the company that represents, for example, Sonic Trimmer is a company called Five Alarm Music. They're owned by Olay. Olay is like, I think the biggest independent publisher in the world. And I have people who will be like, hey, Michael, I'm just, I'm sending, you know, my pop tracks to, to Five Alarm. And I go, that's, Okay, I didn't tell you to do that. I wouldn't send my music to them, my pop tracks to them, because they have a big catalog already full of that stuff. And they're a great company, by the way. They've, they've been very successful for us. But they've been very successful for us in the library, in the, in the trailer world. Because in the trailer world, we fill a niche or a niche in that library, right? So, so there are elements where you have to be pretty specific on, on how you're placing your music. But the wonderful thing about this is that you can find multiple libraries that can represent multiple styles of music that you write. 
and represent them successfully. And, and you can have an, a tremendous amount of success by doing this. I, I equate it to something like the stock market, right? In the traditional music industry, if you're signed with a publisher, that's like putting all of your money into Apple. You know, you, you can only be with one company at a time. And if that company doesn't promote your music or they don't do well for you, then you're kind of screwed, right? And it's kind of like a stock. If that stock goes down, you lose all your money. But in the licensing world, it's, we have the opportunity to go, you know, I want to work with this company with, this, with these songs. So I'm going to put some money into Netflix. I want to work with this company for these songs. I'm going to put some money into Starbucks. And I want to work with this company for these songs. So I'm going to put some money into, um, you know, uh, Apple, right? And as they start doing well for you, you're like, this is great. This is great. But maybe one company starts to not do so well for a while. Who knows? You know, things change. Well, we always want to make sure that we understand our contracts. We want to always make sure that we do not sign any in perpetuity contracts and that every contract that we have has a reversion clause. That just means that the rights can revert to you uh, at a certain point. So maybe we have a two-year deal with this company. In that case, if this company is not doing well anymore, then we can go like Apple's not doing well anymore stock-wise or something. We, uh, and, and we go, well, I want to cash out. I want to take my money out of Apple and I want to put my money into something else. That's what we can do in the licensing world. We can go, okay, this company's not doing so well anymore. Maybe they had a big turnover and they got a whole bunch of new employees and you don't know anyone in there anymore. You can take your money out and take your songs out, right? Your songs are your business assets. They're money, basically. You take your songs out and you go, okay, what's another company that would be really good at representing this particular style of music? Oh, that company over there. So now I'm going to put these songs with them. So we have a lot of freedom and the licensing side of the industry to be able to work our catalog and, and take our, you know, have, have this team work this song, these songs, have this team work these songs and have this, this team work these songs. Uh, and that gives us a lot of opportunity to make consistent income and get placements. And if someone starts dropping the ball and they're not doing well anymore, just like a stock, you can pull your, your assets out and place them elsewhere. And that's not true in the traditional music industry path. When you sign a deal with a publisher, they own those songs in perpetuity. Mm. And I love this stuff. This is, this is blowing my mind right now. So to recap what you're saying that, you know, sometimes it's, it's valuable to not put all of your eggs in one basket, you yeah. know, not just investing just in Apple, but actually kind of spreading it out based on their expertise. Cool. Um, and to take, take things back to, uh, to the party analogy, you know, maybe you decide, you know, do I really want to be the one who's going to all of these parties and going and mixing and, and mingling yeah. with all these people myself? Or do I want to get a publisher who, who essentially is someone that goes to the parties for you? And so, and they have a team of people who are going to all these different parties yeah. and, and connecting with the different, you know, people within those, those houses. And that gives you more, more freedom to not yeah. necessarily have to be the one on the front lines doing that and building those relationships when those relationships have maybe already been built to a certain extent. Yeah, we can, um, we can get ridiculous with the analogies, but a great analogy for the licensing industry is real estate. I think that the two industries are, are exact clones of each other. The only difference mm -hmm. is in real estate, you're selling real property, a house, right? Uh, in licensing, you are granting permission to, to use, because you're not selling anything, you're granting permission to use or rent a piece of intellectual property. A song is intellectual property, right? Mm. But, but just, just going down this path for a second, if you sell your home for sale by owner, you're going to stick a sign out on your front lawn, but you're not going to have access to all the channels that realtors would. You know what I mean? Realtors have their friends and their network and, you know, they get a new house coming on the market and be like, Hey, you know, Bob, I, you know, I, I got a new, you know, four bedroom, three bathroom house coming on the market in this part of town and blah, 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 right? They, they can start getting that stuff out to all their channels. 
and you can sell your house quickly. And of course, they also have their finger on the pulse of the industry and they know the real value of that house depending on you know, the location and stuff like that. And that's like working with a library. You're working with a team of professionals who know the value of things. They got their finger on the pulse of the industry every day. They have their marketing channels and their, and their people that they work with all the time. But I feel like when you're a musician and you're just going to go, I'm going to try and do this on my own and get it out to all these music supervisors. Okay. That's like selling your house for sale by owner. It might take you a long time. You could definitely sell your house, but are you going to get the optimal value for it? How much time are you going to spend trying to get it out there and promote it that you could actually be doing, uh, you could actually be spending that time on something that's actually more valuable to you, which is actually building your catalog. And that's actually the first part of my process is to continuously build your catalog because your catalog, your music, your songs, they are the business assets. They're the assets that you're creating that are going to generate money for you. So for every hour that you spend sitting behind a computer trying to get your music out to supervisors, those are hours that you're losing creating new assets that could be generating income for you. And I think that, uh, I think, you know, I'm just a big advocate for, Working with a team of professionals who know what they're doing, who have their you know, marketing channels and their strategies and all that stuff in place, and letting them work your catalog. They are going to take a percentage of it, just like a realtor is going to take a percentage of your home sale. Um, but that allows you to continuously keep getting back into your studio, doing what you're good at, writing music, and adding to your catalog. And the goal with licensing is not to land one big placement or two big placements. That's, those are called bragging rights, but you're going to blow through that money in no time. Uh, the goal with licensing should be to build a career out of it. And the way to build a career out of it is by consistent placements. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. Like, you know, this this actually feels like it, it ripples into a lot of different um, industries just because that's it's all about building a team and about leveraging your core area of expertise and, yeah. you know, and having people that are, have established relationships. It's, it's kind of... I could like go off the deep end here. So I have to like, no, I pull, love it. I pull, love it. Back. But it, like, even the way like our brains work and the way that like electrical you know, signals are kind of like, like the, the dendrites kind of stick out, you know, how there's kind of branches and they branch out. It's, you know, building a network, building a, a network of relationships um, and building a team is something that's like a valuable life skill to do. And so it sounds like with publishers, really, that's about, you know, plugging into an existing network of yeah. of uh, expertise so yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting yeah. so michael um again i know we could we could really <laughs> dive deep into this when i'm talking with someone like you um who's a master at whatever field that they're in i can i always i get this sense of like the the level of depth like the level of understanding is so deep you probably don't aren't even aware of the like a lot of it just like makes sense to you it's like oh yeah you know this is just how it is and it yeah. just like oozes oozes out everything you're saying so i appreciate you taking the time to you know kind of come here and share some of those nuggets of what okay. you've learned what would be a good place for people to learn more in terms of like you know of what you offer and in terms of like your free um, training resources. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, I created a website called mastermusiclicensing.com. Uh, on there, you can go there and you can, you can download a free book that I have. It's a PDF. Uh, you can read it in about 45 minutes. It outlines my exact four step process that I have. Right. Um, so I have just a, we, we talked really only about the first two steps that we really only spent actually any time on step two of the process. But um, 
I have a four-step process uh, that I've used um, over the years. It's just been very successful for me. Uh, as I've, I've been teaching this to a lot of my friends. I've been teaching it to my friends since 2005, uh, but I've been teaching it publicly, you know, for the last two years. And, and it's, it's awesome to see others who take the information and take action on it succeed. Uh, because it does work. The process does work. Because the process is all about showing up to that party with that big plate of the hot wings and the and the and spare ribs and the and the fruits and vegetables, right? You're showing up and people are gonna be like, "This is awesome. Hey, let's come, let them in." And uh, it's all about bringing value to our end users. It's all about understanding our end users. And the end users in the licensing world aren't just music supervisors. There are people past music supervisors. You have music editors. You have you're also you know dealing with directors and producers and and whatnot. Uh, so you have to keep that in mind. Uh, Re-recording mixers, you know, they're, they're the end of the chain. So there are a number of people further down the line uh, who are going to be utilizing your music, and it's about delivering your music to them in a way that they can utilize it. And it doesn't change the process of creating the music, uh, writing the music and stuff. It, the, that process starts literally from the time you're mixing. From the time you're mixing, I literally start there. You know, from the time we mix, our process is going to be a little different then the process of when you mix a song and you send it out to, you know, the CD duplicator and get your CDs packaged up and sent out to fans. It's, it's a completely different process. So you can le learn about that uh, four-step process there. You can download the book. Uh, and then I have uh, blogs, blogs and videos and stuff like that. So you can go to the blog page and um, pages and pages and pages of, of blogs and videos that, that I discuss a lot of that stuff. And I do have an online uh, course that I release a couple times a year. And, uh, and as we're speaking right now, I'm actually finishing up a sync ready challenge program that I'm super excited about. Uh, it's about getting your songs sync ready uh, and ready to be sent out to supervisors and, and libraries and all the end users. I call them end users, uh, editors and whatnot. But yeah, that's, that's what I have. And, and I, love, I love sharing this. My favorite aspect of I've been doing this for so long, you know, licensing. So uh, I, you know, I, I definitely enjoy writing music and, and getting it out there. But I, I, really 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 love getting the updates from people who've gone through my program and uh you know sharing with me the placements they've gotten and you know even video clips i had a friend recently where a guy i know recently sent me a video clip of uh his first placement on a on a on a tv show and i just think that's the coolest thing so i love that michael you're awesome dude thank you so much for taking the time to share you know what what you've been working on for the past you know 20 some years so i uh, really appreciate it cool thanks we'll see you soon Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take the music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.